0: Love our church. I love what we get to do together. I was just talking with uh, Chris Morgan over there and he said, man, you got fire. I got fired. You got fire? You ready to go get this today? I can't tell. Are you rowdy enough for today? Yeah. yeah. Have you ever needed to be rescued? I mean, just you have that place, whether it's disappointment or something really serious in your life. Uh, Marsha and I were talking this week. There, there was a moment when she was a teenager. She needed to be rescued. Uh, I guess mostly disappointment. Uh, She she wanted to be a cheerleader back in the teenage years. And uh, so she practiced and, you know, she had those gymnastic skills and tried out and then waited for the answer, right? You know what that's like when you're waiting. Are they going to pick me? No, no, she didn't get picked. And that man, you just... You just need, when you're, when you're a teenager and you feel the rejection, you're like, oh, the angst that goes with it. But not wanting to give up easily the next year or year two. She's like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not giving up on this. And so she went to her friend. And said to her friend, I need, I need some help in practice. I need some moral support. Would you try out with me? And her friend's like, I don't want to be a cheerleader. So That's fine. Just you can try out with me and that'll encourage me and make it easier for me. So I practice together and try out together. And, and then the moment Marsha became a cheerleader. No, no. She, she didn't get picked that year. But her friend, yeah, the one who didn't want to be one got picked. <laughs> I, I don't care who you are. That hurts your heart. If you're a parent, I right, don't you want to rescue your kids like, oh, I'm not one to give up easily, year three, um, just give it another shot, try it, and, and she got picked, and, and her, her coach used Marsha as the illustration for everybody else thereafter for years. Hey, if you don't make it, remember Marsha. <laughs> Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. She tried three times, three years, finally made it, and became awesome. And then she became homecoming queen, and then she went to college, and I rescued her from a single life. So, (laughs) And then we discovered that marriage isn't always awesome. And then you realize, hey, we need to be rescued from marriage. (laughs) Have you ever needed to be rescued? How many of you have ever run out of gas? Come on. Why do we do this? How many gas stations did you pass along the way and say, I don't have time? I've run out of gas more than once in my car. I've gone on a motorcycle that makes 50 miles to the gallon. I know, I'm gifted. (laughs) A recent poll say in this country, over 70% of the people just, man, we need help. We're going wrong direction from economy to, to, to crime, to blah, blah, blah. Our nation needs rescue. Some are feeling it, uh, just, I'm doing great in work, but my marriage needs rescue. My marriage is great, but my work needs rescue. Maybe it's health. Maybe just you're just in a really difficult time of your health, you're like, dear God, could you rescue me? Maybe you're single. Like, dear, gracious God, rescue me from dating. I'm trying to find the person I should be with for life, and this is No easy task. Maybe you think, if I could just, you know, gain more wealth and power, I would be, you know, free from ever needing to be rescued. And then David would step in and say, "Uh, by the way, um, you know, David of David and Goliath fame, David of, of, of... authoring the majority of the Psalms. David, who who went from the shepherd boy to the king by the hand of God. This David. David would tell you, hey, I rose by God's hand to, to wealth and power, and it was on me as king of Israel back in the day to, to, to provide economically for a nation. I felt the weight of that to provide for safety and security, and, and we had battles and wars, and I realized just because you get to the next place doesn't mean you ever get beyond the this place of needing rescue. Something's always beyond your reach. It's always outside of your control. And he wrote in Psalm 20, look at the scripture. Now this I know, David wrote, the Lord gives a victory. Think rescue. Think what, everybody? Rescue. The Lord gives victory, think rescue to his anointed. He answers, I love that. We'll come back. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand, which of course is the source of rescue. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. For what? For rescue. David's saying, there are so many times, because I live in a world where I have battles and it's just beyond me. It's past my ability to manage it. I can't solve it. I need, I need someone bigger than me, beyond me. I need rescue. And inherent in that scripture, he says, and God answers. God what? Answers. Which means David's asking. Means he admits, I need rescue. He admits, well, I have chariots and horses. I got an enemy, and they got a bunch of chariots and horses. There's no way this is going to be the win. This is not enough. God, I need you. I need you now. I need rescue. He's admitting his need for rescue. And then he's answering the great question. and, And here's the great question. Does God rescue? Does God, and David's saying yes, which I'll ask the question and then you answer it all across the campuses, online community, 12-stone home with just enthusiasm and fire. You ready? Does God rescue? Yes. Yes. I mean, that is great news because we all have places, times, and seasons when we need rescue. And David is saying, God, I I don't want to live with things the way they are right now. I don't want my marriage to, to be the way it is right now. I don't want my life, my family, my career, my circumstances, my health, my, my spiritual life. I don't want my character. I don't want, I don't want the world in which I'm living right now to be the way it is. God, can you change circumstances or change me or give me strength? And the good news is, you know, God rescues. And so that leads us into the scripture for the day, which is in John 13. And the depth of uh, this scripture is in the breadth of its stories. So let's get into John 13 from the Jesus Storybook Bible, and let's discover uh, from today's teaching just how wide and deep is the rescuing hand of God, the servant king. It was Passover, the time when God's people remembered how God had rescued them from being slaves in Egypt. Every year they killed a lamb and ate it. The lamb died instead of us. Oh, the lamb died instead of us, they would say. But this Passover, the one that Jesus was celebrating with his disciples, this Passover, God was getting ready for an even greater rescue. See, Jesus and his friends were having the Passover meal together in an upstairs room. Pause. If you're not familiar with the Passover, let me give you context. All the way back here. The time of Egypt when Egypt was enslaved to Israel and they were begging God for rescue. God had 10 plagues that he brought upon the nation of Egypt. The 10th plague was the death of the firstborn. It was a judgment for sin. It was going to land on the firstborn. That was going to be true for all of Egypt and all of Israel. And yet for Israel, God said, I have a path to rescue. Here's how it will work. If you take a one-year-old lamb that is without blemish and you sacrifice that lamb, the shedding of that lamb's blood, that death, can cover the death that is coming as a judgment upon the firstborn. If you will take the blood of that substitute lamb and brush it over your doorposts, when the death angel comes, when judgment comes, if the death angel sees the blood on your doorpost, the angel will pass over. The angel will what, everybody? Pass over. That's why it's called Passover. Like, what is that deep biblical Passover? Passed, saw, passed over. Like, well, that wasn't complicated. I know. That's why I'm sharing it with you. So every year they would celebrate Passover. This Passover means the rescuing hand of God. Now they're celebrating Passover. So we're in the story. They're celebrating it. It's some 1,250 to 1,500 years later from the moment with Egypt. And they're still celebrating the Passover. But Jesus' friends were arguing about what? They were arguing about stinky feet. Stinky feet? Yes, that's right. Stinky feet. Now, the thing about feet back then was that people didn't wear shoes. They only wore sandals, which might not sound unusual, except that, well, the streets in those days were dirty. And I don't mean just dusty dirty. I mean, really stinky dirty. With all those cows and horses everywhere, you can imagine the stuff on the street that ended up on their feet. So anyway, someone... Had to wash away the dirt, but it was a dreadful job. Who on earth would ever dream of volunteering to do it? Only the lowliest servant. I'm not the servant, Peter said, nor am I, said Matthew. Quietly, Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, picked up a basin of water, knelt down and started to wash his friend's feet. You can't, Peter said. He didn't understand about Jesus being the servant king. If you don't let me wash away the dirt, Peter... Jesus said, you can't be close to me. Jesus knew that what people needed most was to be clean on the inside. Where everybody? On the inside. All the dirt on their feet was nothing compared to the sin inside their hearts. Then wash me, Lord, Peter said, tears filling his eyes. All of me. One by one, Jesus washed everyone's feet. I am doing this because I love you, Jesus explained. Do this for each other. Now, one of Jesus' friends had made a bad plan. Uh, what kind of plan? Ooh, bad plan. No one else knew what the bad plan was, but Jesus knew. And so did Judas. Judas was going to help the leaders capture Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Go on, Judas, Jesus said. Huh. Just pause. Pause. Jesus knew what Judas would do, and he still washed his feet. Just pay attention. Judas betrayed Jesus with clean feet. There's so much in this story. Go on, Judas, Jesus said. And Judas got up from the meal, left the room, and walked out into the night. Then Jesus picked up some bread and broke it. He gave it to his friends. He picked up a cup of wine and thanked God for it. He poured it out and shared it. My body is like this bread. It will break, Jesus told them. This cup of wine is like my blood. It will pour out. But this is how God will rescue. Will what, everybody? Rescue the whole world. That includes us, by the way. My life will break, and God's broken world will mend. My heart will tear apart, and your hearts will heal. Just as the Passover lamb died, now you see the parallel, just as the Passover lamb died, so now I will die instead of you. My blood will wash away all of your sins, and you'll be clean on the inside in your hearts. So whenever you eat and drink, in other words, the Lord's Supper, communion, Jesus said, I've rescued you. Remember that I've rescued you. Jesus knew it was Nearly time for him to leave the world and go back to God. I won't be with you long, he said. You're going to be very sad. But God's helper will come. And then you'll be filled with a forever happiness that won't ever leave. So don't be afraid. You are my friends. I love you. And they sang their favorite song and walked up to their favorite place, an olive garden. In this scripture is the depth and the breadth of the rescuing hand of Jesus. And we're going to highlight four of them. And again, we're just, we got to hit the breath because that's where the depth is. So here are the four. (laughs) Jesus rescues from self-serving. Just grab your phone wherever you are at the campuses online. If you just like get these four down, meditate on these. Absorb these. Jesus rescues from self-serving. Jesus rescues from bad plans. Jesus rescues from helplessness. Jesus rescues from sin and death. And listen. David knew he needed rescue, so he asked. Are you asking? I mean, you might know you need rescue. You might even know that God rescues, but are you asking? And that's how we're going to close the service today. We're going to have a sacred moment of asking to the very things where Jesus rescues. And you might find yourself standing on any one or more of those and saying, I need rescue. But you've got to ask. Let's talk about them. Number one, Jesus rescues from self-serving. Your feet stink. That's the story. That's what's going on among the disciples. They're hanging out together. They're at the Last Supper, and the dialogue is, well, your feet stink. And, 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 and you, you, if you're not familiar with what's going on, the, the framework for how they would have been at the table it would have been a U-shaped table. It would have been a very low table. They would have reclined to dine. So you recline to dine. You lean on your left elbow, and you eat with your right hand. And so the next person is right in front of you, and your feet are fairly close. And so when the feet stink, I mean, you all know the feet stink. They're all aware. Y'all's feet stink. Now, just this is a moment for the pause. What was going on in their heads, perhaps, is no doubt what goes on in our heads. We do this in our marriage. We do this in our family, what I'm about to say. What was happening in that room, I think, we do in the church still. We do it in small group. We do it with serving teams. We do it with coworkers. We do it in neighborhoods. We do it with community. Here's what we do. We're in life. We get around other people, and it's like, man, you stink. And what we really mean is the way you live stinks. Your personality stinks. Your politics stinks. You're, we fill in the blank. We're like, man, you just who get around you like your your attitude stinks. You're just, you, we just we're just aware that ever peop, other people just aren't who we would like them to be, and our sense is well, you kind of stink. And then we start thinking, I wish you would clean that up. I wish somebody would clean up. And so we start evaluating the world around us. And we think, how come nobody is cleaning that up? This is an entirely selfish world, which is fascinating the whole time. Because what we're really unaware of is that we stink and we're not doing anything about it either. Oh, I can't. I couldn't hear you. (laughs) Listen, when you appoint yourself a victim and then a critic. You're unaware that you stink, your sin stinks, your attitude stinks, your choices often stink, and you're not doing anything to help anybody either. This self appointed victim and critic thing of life is so destructive that it makes you self serving. You see, when Jesus washed their feet, he was doing more than washing stinky feet, he was trying to wash stinky souls, as in hearts, as in stinking attitudes that are self-serving. He was doing more than modeling, cleaning the physical feet. He was saying something has to change. You need to be rescued, not from stinky feet, but from self-serving spirits. Here's what he said in John. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Get past your self-serving attitude. Be a daymaker. Just say it to the person next to you. Be a daymaker. Just say it to them. Say it so I can hear it. Tell them what? Be a daymaker. When we tell, that's all this is. This, just, you'll keep coming back to Daymaker, you know why? Because it's not a campaign, it's a calling. It's who we are, it's who we're supposed to be in Christ. You find it right here. Each time you jump into a story of Jesus, you're like, we keep coming back to Daymaker. Why? Because it's everywhere. Because you have to get past your self-serving self to be about others. You love God, you love others. You're not running around in the world to see, how can somebody make my day? You don't get married so your spouse can make your day and so you can make their day. When you say I do, I do is not, I do accept you making my day every day and being about me. That's not the I do. The I do is I'm about you. Coming to the church, we get transformed. He washes our stinky feet and soul, and, and, and we become daymakers. We think about, we go on to the world, we're like, how can we make someone else's day? So I'm gonna read a couple stories. When I'm done reading the story, you go celebrate. You should be rowdy today. These are good stories. They're brief, but you know Just a moment. This morning, as a 12-stone to share the story, and someone shared it with me this week, this morning my husband and I took our child to Home Depot for the kids' workshop. While there, I overheard a woman, Cherise, say that she was from Fort Myers, Florida. They lost their home and cars to the hurricane. I wanted to bless her. So I went to buy a Home Depot gift card, and on my way to find her again, I ran into Heather, another 12-stoner in my small group. Then Grace, another 12-stoner who was working at Home Depot, and she helped us find Sharice. The three of us gave her the gift card, prayed for her. I'm so glad God brought so many 12-stoners together to bless her as daymakers. Yay, church? That's cool. That's what it means. Like, think beyond yourself. Here's another one. Quentin is a mid-30s dad of two. He came to 12 Stone last Easter, and now with a deepening faith and, and in a small group uh, with some guys, he's been traveling through uh, the recent death of his mom. Here's the text to his campus pastor. My mom's death is by far the hardest thing I've ever had to go through. There are times that I can't stop myself from weeping uncontrollably. But I don't think I've ever been in a better position to face this trial. As crazy as it sounds, you and my 12-stone group have helped me be a, I mean, you've helped me a lamp to my foot and a a light to my roadway in my darkest hour. So from the bottom of my heart, I can't thank you all enough for embracing me. Consider my day made. Congratulations. You are day makers. Come on, church. That's who we're supposed to be with each other. It's a beautiful thing. So, So here's, ask Jesus, would you rescue me? From self-serving how many times what is really broke in your marriage your family your relationships your work and your church is just because you're self-serving and you can't get past yourself what could be transformed if you would be transformed rescue me from myself Learn to be a daymaker and wash people's feet. There's a second thing Jesus rescues us from. Jesus rescues from bad plans. From what kind of plans? Bad plans. Now, Judas had a bad plan. Sure, we read the story. But it was more than a bad plan. Listen, it was a godless plan. His plan was his own plan over God's plan. His way over God's way. He knew Jesus' plan. He's like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't like that plan. I'll make my own plan. See, the Bible is God's word to us, and it's God's plan. And it gives us understanding and insight in how to do life, uh, how, where, where you find your identity and, 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 and who you are in him and that you have a creator and, and that you have the strength and the power and the beauty of being in the image of God. And, and simultaneously, you, you live for God and, and you were made for God. And, and then his plan for marriage and for family and how you parent and, and a moral compass and, and your worth ethic and your work ethic and, and, and how you get money and how you give money and how you manage life and, and on and on. And then we, we, we have all this truth of God and that's God's plan. And then we just kind of go off and do our own thing. I said, no, I got my own plan. And when you do your own thing, that's a bad plan. And when we get into the story of Judas, who decided to sell Jesus, betray him for 30 pieces of silver, it was a bad plan. And of all the theories, which we don't have time for just, let me just deal with one slice. At the very least, what we know to be true of Judas is that he decided, come on, he decided that money was a better rescue than God. Money's the real rescue, not God. Not God. I'll love money more than God. At least it's true that greed was in there, because you can go back in a few chapters in John, and you'll see in John chapter 12, he, Judas, was a thief. A what, everybody? Thief. As keeper of the money bag for the ministry of Christ, he used to help himself to what was put in it. You get a little insight into Judas when you see his early life. And In his early life, he decided, you know what? God has a way for how you get money and give money, but yeah, not for me. I got my own plan. You, you, won't, you won't get money or give money God's way. The moment you decide that you, you love money and that's the real rescue. See, whatever you think is the rescue is what you worship. Did did you get that? Whatever you think is the real rescue is what you worship. And you will abandon all else for it. A lot of the losses we take in life is because we are chasing what we think is the real rescue. See, Judas... Before he ever took 30 pieces of silver, he was just taking one piece of silver at a time. He was already a thief. When you excuse little sins, you will eventually excuse big sins. I don't think he ever intended three years before when he became one of the disciples to ultimately be the one who betrayed I think he practiced himself into it. He could have been rescued way back here if he just quit stealing the one piece of silver at a time. See, the thing that set David apart was David fought to follow God's plan. Look what he wrote in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. See, apart from your word, I'm going to have bad plans, but I'm going to plan my life. I'm going to plan my moral compass. I'm going to plan my ethics. I'm going to build my marriage. I'm going to build my self-worth. I'm going to build the way I get money and give money. I'm going to build the way I do career. I'm going to build my life on your word. Previously in Verse 11 of this same chapter, he said, your word, I have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why? Because it's, it's going to cost you. It's a bad plan. So ask Jesus, rescue me from bad plans, right? I mean, that's a good prayer. Rescue me from bad plans. We'll take a moment for that prayer today. Maybe that's your prayer. Three, Jesus rescues from helplessness. He rescues from what? Helplessness. Thank you. That was enthusiasm. That's what I'm looking for over there. Let's all join that kind of enthusiasm. Jesus rescues from what? Helplessness. We we are all in need at times to be rescued. But I wonder if you are aware that, that Judas hit helplessness. He betrayed Jesus, and then he realized that he had betrayed the Son of God to a false trial and death. And when he did, he regretted it. Now, let me just pause right here. He regretted it. That's not the same thing as repentance. Do not confuse those. Regret is when you realize what you did is stupid and you lost more than you gained. A lot of us regret. That's not the same thing as repent. Repent is when you confess that it is sin and you turn from the sin and turn to God and follow him. It's not the same. He didn't turn back to Jesus. He got in such a helpless state that he convinced himself I am helpless and hopeless. There is no rescue. And he took his own life. Super sad story. But don't you wonder what would have happened if he had just come back to Jesus? I mean, don't you know that it's the nature of Jesus to rescue us and forgive us and restore us? Even the Judas? I imagine if he had come back and said, rescue me, I'm helpless, that Jesus would say, I can, I will. Peter, he denied Jesus, and having denied Jesus, and being helpless and hopeless himself, and like, I don't know where to turn, I'm beyond my reach, I I can't solve what I've done. Jesus restored him. No wonder Peter wrote later in 1 Peter chapter 5, Cast all your anxieties upon him, Jesus, because he what? Cares for you. Because he what? Cares for you. Again, because he what? Cares for you. Well, you have anxiety in life, but know this. He cares for you. So you're not alone. You're not on your own. You don't have to carry this all all on you. Oh, this is I'm all me. No, Jesus rescues from helplessness. That is really good news. I mean, sometimes I don't want to admit I'm helpless. I don't want to admit I'm in a place where I desperately need him. That's okay. He, he rescues from helpless. That's really good news. If you pull a Judas... Turn to him; he rescues from helpless. If you pull a, if if, if you pull a, a a Peter and and you deny that he, you're helpless, run to him. Ask him, rescue me. If you're David and you're in a war and you might have chariots and horses, but there's more on the other side. Rescue me. That's who he is and what he does. And why would you go to him? Because he has no anxiety. Just so you know, he's never been anxious. God's never been up there. I just I do not know what I'm gonna do. I don't know. I've given him plans like he doesn't know what he's going to do, and he's not taking them usually, but I have really good ideas for him. He's never been anxious. He's never asked for advice. He's never been helpless. He's almighty. He rescues, and he cares for you. Ask him. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's finance. He cares for you. I was reading recently that the Gen Z generation, which is between 10 to 25 age roughly right now, that that is the most anxious generation. If you're in that generation, that's rough. My 19-year-old is in the middle of that generation, and and I'm I'm sure all that's gone on and the very real mental health issues in our country and in this world make some of us feel quite helpless. Well, good news, he rescues from helpless. And he cares for you. I don't know if you really are the most anxious um, generation. I know I've had conversations with my kids and my 19-year-old, and they read things in media like, right now we're in an inflation that is um, the worst it's been in 40 years. And when my 19-year-old hears that, you know what he says? that is the means it's the worst it's ever been in my entire life my that's true son you know what i hear let, let me read the article the annual inflation rate stands at an, an unadjusted 7.1 the highest 12 month change since june of 1982 so i get to say to my son you know what i hear i hear 1982 which seems ancient to you But in June of 82, I graduated from college and was trying to get a job. What they're referring to is when I was the equivalent of a Gen Z and it sucked way back then. All the way back here when I was trying to get a job. See, when you say it's as bad as it's ever been except 40 years ago, I'm like, yeah, I was there. I was trying to get a job, which I couldn't get. And that's the year I got married and inflation was horrible. Now I've worked 40 years Guess what's coming? I've waited 40 years. Of course, most of you know that we're making this wonderful God-ordained shift in the life of 12 Stone, and in 2022, I announced that, hey, now I'm an empty nester, and I think the next and the new that God is going to do among us is that he's called Jason Berry to be the future senior pastor of 12 Stone, so we are side by side. We are co-senior pastors, and because I'm empty nester, I think if God's going to transform souls, families, 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 and communities, I'll be led by a guy who's leading a family, and so we're going to make... Make the shift, God's ordained him, called him, we're encouraging him, raising him up. He's next. I know my role in that. By the way, some of you say, oh, congratulations, you're retired. I'm not retiring. When we make the transition this next summer, some of you have heard about that, we make the transition, become sole senior pastor. I'm going to be founding pastor. I'm still here. I'm here for the next three years at least or more. I'm still working full time. I'm not, listen, I'm not retiring. I'm repositioning. But when I'm doing it, I'm doing it all at this stage in the midst of the worst inflation. So here's what it means. It means when I come to this season of my life, it sucks now inflation, and it sucked back there when I Started. I don't think Gen Z is the only generation with anxiety. That's all I want to say. <laughs> I think the whole world. I think we all know anxiety. Because everybody knows what it means to feel helpless. And God rescues. David knew to ask. Ask. I love this story. To stone family who knew to ask. Four months ago, the Anderson family. Well, the dad, Bob, Bobby, lost his job and could stop the financial slide, losing the roof over their heads. His son was recently baptized. After the baptism, gathered some toast and said, "Man, just pray with me. Pray for me." And they did. So I need rescue. I need a job, and I need some source to find a new place for so the family, the six kids, and. And they prayed for him. He's just, God, rescue me from helplessness. How kind of God. And then one conversation led to another, and people from that prayer time talked to somebody else and somebody else and asked a friend, Hey, do you know a place that a family like that could could find a new roof over their head and a place to rent? And and this guy said, You know what? I don't know the Anderson family, and, 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 and I don't know a place. He said, But God's stirring in me. Maybe I should help him be a daymaker. I think I can financially assist. He said, Let me go talk to some friends. And he and several 12 friends took just a little quiet private offering and put over $8,000 together and handed it to the Anderson family, which helped them dig out of their circumstance. Yeah, just hang on before you okay You should react that way. It's that good. Just hold it. Just, like, get ready. Okay? And then the kindness of God soon after got the job he was looking for in his field, and so has a roof over his head and a job. Now you can say, yay, God, God rescues. That is the kindness of God. All right, we got to keep moving. Let's wrap it up. Let's get to this. Number four, Jesus rescues from sin and death. Jesus rescues from what, everybody? Sin and death. So they're at the Passover, and Jesus takes the bread, and he breaks it and tears it, and says, that's what's going to happen to my body broken for you. And the cup? That's symbolic of my blood that will be shed for you. I am the Passover lamb who will pay the price for your sin so that you can be rescued. And if you will repent and turn to me, my sacrifice will brush, so to speak, his blood over the doorpost of your heart so that when judgment comes, it sees the blood of Christ and passes over. And you go to eternal life. Listen, the church is not a bunch of religious people who are self-righteous. This is a rescue station for people who have been restored by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's who we are. This is all we have. This is our only hope. This is a rescue station. That's what we do. Let me just give you one story to celebrate and then make the point. Central Campus, as a rescue station, had launched several campuses, one of them being Buford. And today, Doug is being baptized, and we should celebrate. But let me just read the summary. Over the last three years, Doug wrote, I have lost a job, started a new career, and barely made it through a divorce. Throughout all this, I had an attitude of I can do it all by myself. And I was wrong. I stepped completely away from any faith and believed only in myself. I became isolated and depressed. I was at my breaking point and lost my heart and and lost for how to fix my life. I reluctantly agreed to go to church but wasn't sure someone like me would ever be welcomed. When I walked into Charleston, I was immediately welcomed. I felt the walls of doubt and my faith begin to break down. And I was flooded by peace and I was home. So Doug has come to Christ and today is being baptized. And what does all of heaven do when someone comes into the kingdom? Yay, Doug, congratulations. We celebrate with you. See, we're a rescue station. And I want to give you just a picture of what it means for us to go next in this whole investment in the kingdom as a rescue station. See, we launched Jackson County Campus, and that campus is really an expression of what happened from Central Campus several years ago that got planted and established. And Central Campus then launched a circle, a ring of multiple campuses around, and they're all rescue stations, all what, everybody? Everybody. Rescue stations. that all, That's all it is. 12 Stone Home, those are rescue stations. You're listening online, maybe you have rescue space right there. And, and so, if you will, Central Campus was like the sending campus to make all that happen, and that was Central's primary place, to be a sending campus. And Central Campus, we bought 70 acres, and those 70 acres, we didn't know back when we bought it and built Central, would it only just be one campus and everything would happen there, or would there be this thing multi-campus we knew it was possible but it hadn't been proven and yet over all these years instead of us being at one location at central it's become multiple locations five six seven now eight campuses and jackson county is one of the campuses but think about it jackson county is a grandchild of central isn't that kind of a cool thought like these are all the children and i it's grandchild and we knew when that happened that there would come a time when we get to Reset Central as its own unique, distinct campus like all the others. And in so doing, that therefore we don't need all 70 acres, we have about 30 acres that we're not using. How do we leverage that for the kingdom? Because we're rescue stations. That's who we are, It's what we do. And we've been in a conversation for how to leverage that to advance the kingdom as rescue stations, which means that, well, three things have to come in play. What is the vision for 12 stone? What's 12 stone's vision for how we go forward to accomplish what God's called us to do? And we got 30 acres over here. How do we leverage that acreage for the kingdom? Now, all of this conversation is sitting on a website that you can go listen to. I put together videos, Q&A, cool stuff. We're fired up about what God's about to do next for Central Campus, but I'm just giving you the highlights. How do we go next, uh, push forward for what God has for, for 12 Stone? And we have to do that inside of Gwinnett County because, well, we're that's where God has called us, and that's what we're sitting in, and then, and then there has to be some kind of what do you do with the land, and so there's development, and so here's kind of how the conversation has laid now, how does Central Campus fulfill its purpose and its vision? Well, some of the conversations have been uh, development-wise, uh, with uh, like an Amazon. Amazon wondering, "Hey, would you sell the whole 70 acres and leave Central?" leave what's going to become the Lawrenceville campus because central is going to become Lawrenceville because it gets to become its own unique identity would we just walk away from the whole property and like let Amazon buy it and make it like a last mile and the answer is no we've been called to that territory we're keeping the 40 acres and we're staying centered there as part of our commitment part of our calling then there have been other conversations would we go would we go multi-family would we expand to that for for development like some other churches down the street have sold their whole land and they moved to way because it's becoming kind of down 20 and in the center of Gwinnett's become more suburban to urban and, and not knowing how to adjust to that. We, 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 well, just they sold all their land and they're going somewhere else. We're not doing that. We know how to adjust, how to be kind of suburban urban, so we wouldn't sell the whole property. But A developer has come along and said, oh, we'll take the 30 acres and we'll go multifamily, bring people on your property. We love that idea. And that makes complete sense to Gwinnett County because that's what they're doing down 20. And so we would welcome people onto our property sell the 30 acres to them, leverage that exchange of finances and funds to refurbish Central Campus and help fund Jackson County. What a really smart kingdom use of the 30 acres, exchange it and keep building, if you will, rescue stations for the kingdom. Well, that's part of the vision that we're chasing as a church. And you can go listen to all that on our website. Go check it out, it goes live today. Pretty fired up about what God is doing, but don't think that I'm talking rescue stations as a brand new thought from today's teaching just because it's in the scripture of today's John 13. It's in our name. That's where 12 stone comes from. Joshua chapter four, reflecting on Israel having been rescued from having the Red Sea part and then now in Joshua four having the Jordan part that God rescued them and was walking them into the promised land. And then each tribe took a stone from the center of the Jordan and stacked it, 12 stones. As a memorial to the power of the rescuing hand of God, look at this scripture. Yes, God, your God dried up the Jordan waters. Dried up the Jordan waters for you until you had crossed, just as God, your God, did at the Red Sea, which had dried up before us until we had crossed. This was so that everybody on earth would recognize how strong what God's what rescuing hand is. And so that you would hold God in solemn reverence always. Does God rescue? What's the answer, everybody? Yes. Yes, Yes, he does. But are you asking? So I'm done with the teaching. Campus pastors have graciously allowed me to take a moment a sacred close, kind of unique. I hope you'll enter into it from 12 stone home to online to live at all the campuses. We're going to take these four prayers about this rescuing hand of God. And we're going to take a moment one at a time. Jesus rescue me from self-serving. And if you're at a 12 stone home you just raise your hand if that's your prayer and you offer your prayer god rescue me from self-serving if you know That's god. I need to be released from some of this become a daymaker the like whatever it is You god's got to reorient something in you. Maybe it's in a key relationship in the light But hey, if you're at a campus listen carefully if you're at a campus I'm gonna ask you to stand Not yet, but i'm gonna ask you to stand for that prayer and you offer to god your prayer rescue me from self-serving Then i'm gonna have you be seated And we're going to have a next prayer. And the next prayer, the second prayer is going to be, God, rescue me from bad plans. And if that's you, I'm going to say, just stand. And that'll take some courage on your part. You'll stand and I'll pray over you, but you'll offer your prayer to God. God, rescue me from bad plans. And then we'll go to the third one. Rescue me from helplessness. So we'll have you seat after the second one and stand for the third one. If if that's you, maybe you're going to stand on more than one. That's fine. And you offer your prayer, God, rescue me from helplessness. And then an invitation. God, rescue me from sin and death. There's more people than we know, certainly at every campus, at every service, who's never said yes to Jesus. I invite you to take that moment and you'll sense the Holy Spirit draw on you. So bow your heads with me. Engage the sacred moment. Let's not just be aware that God rescues, let's engage. So the first prayer, Jesus, Rescue me from self-serving. If you know there's someone in your life, you say, God, I would just be transformed if you would rescue me from serving. Wherever you are, any of the campuses, would you just stand right now? Just quietly stand right here in the room. Stand. You say, that's my prayer. That's the one I'm asking. Just begin to stand everywhere. If you're at a 12-stone home, you can just raise your hand. And when you stand, start offering your prayer right now. And you just say, Jesus, rescue me from self-serving. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would rescue all who are asking. Rescue me from self-serving. We know where it's breaking down, perhaps, in marriage or in a family or a key relationship. We know where it's costing us in community. We know our own selfishness. It takes a lot of honesty to say, Lord, I got a few things in my life that stink. Would you wash me and rescue me from myself? In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. And in that same disposition, just go ahead and have a seat. And now let's go to the second prayer. Jesus, rescue me from bad plans. Maybe this is your prayer. If it is, just begin to stand. Cross all the campuses right now, wherever you are. If you say, God, I've got some plans, I'm off track. Maybe you're playing with sin. Maybe the Spirit of God is telling you right now, I need I need you to surrender that. You need to surrender that. And so you just stand wherever you are at the campuses. Maybe you put your hand up at a 12-stone home. And you begin to ask him right now, say, Jesus, rescue me from bad plans. Tell him, oh, would you rescue me? So, Heavenly Father, some of us are confessing that there are places in our lives where we are walking down some bad plans. It's not on your plan, it's not on your purpose. We're not even sure how to get off it, but we know we need to. God, we repent right now and say, change me. Change my circumstances help me walk holy and fully with you maybe some of us are saying i don't even know what the right path is yet i don't even know how yet to get on the right path and holy spirit would you guide us and teach us you are the counselor and would you free us and rescue us in jesus name amen have a seat three jesus rescued me and my helplessness for some of us maybe it's medical, for others it might be financial, for some it might be a key relationship with a wayward child, it might be family related, some area of our life where I just feel a helplessness, maybe it's disappointment, so you just begin to stand right now, across the campuses, if that's you. you, say, God, God, rescue me from helplessness, I'm in places where I don't know how to get ahead, it's out of my reach, it's beyond my ability, maybe if you're 12-stone home, you slip a hand up, so Heavenly Father, rescue us from helplessness, For all those who are offering their prayers right now, Lord Jesus, would you by your grace and kindness do for us what you did for David when you gave him victory? You are the same God. Now move on my behalf. Some are asking for healing. Some are asking for just direct intervention, some for a job, some for a broken relationship, some for a wayward child, some for circumstances that would be hard to explain to anyone else, but we feel the helplessness and the powerlessness of our circumstance. Would you rescue us, oh God, in Jesus' name? Have a seat. There's some at every campus who've never said yes to Jesus. There's some sitting in this room you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've been quite religious. Maybe you grew up in church, maybe not. Maybe you call yourself a Christian and you just mean it because you're religious. But you don't have a relationship and it's time for you to say yes to jesus if this is your moment here in the room or at any of the campuses i'm going to invite you to stand the counter, i i'm just going to say stand and you're going to surrender your life to christ it's the biggest most beautiful profound decision you'll ever make on earth and his blood covers you some of you are online and you're listening in you can have the same moment at 12 stone home So at any campus, and I know you're thinking, I don't need to stand to do this. I think that if you don't stand here, you won't stand when you get out of here. And if the Spirit of God is saying, it's time for you to finally say yes, whether you're a student, mom, dad, single, married, men, maybe time to finally say yes to Jesus.